Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. And we are here for you today after an extended break. Yeah, hiatus. Sabbatical. Yep. Matt, did you get a little R&R over our break? I wish, but no. Instead, I got a little G&R. We're back, as we promised, dropping a deuce in 2020, because <laughs> we're starting off with this fierce, destructive, scary album. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can't even look at the album cover. Yeah. It gives me nightmares. <laughs> this is Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. We wanted to start off with a bang. It's hard to start any bangier than this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bangiest thing we could think of. This is the bangiest thing we could bang in this banging new year. <laughs> Besides She Bangs by Ricky Martin. That was a song, wasn't it? It was a song. She Bangs. She Bangs. What? Jeez, oh, Ricky Martin. That was the 2000s. That was early 2000s? Yeah, or even late. 90s. We were all so confused then. We, we thought the world was going to end. Who, who, you know, it was yeah. Y2K. Who cared? Right. Rap took a weird turn with all these shiny suits and <laughs> everybody was on a boat. Actually, that was a good time. It was Everybody fun. was on a boat. That's true. <laughs> Ricky Martin. I'm sure we'll do a Ricky Martin oh, episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least one. <laughs> <laughs> she bangs and then... Episode two, we'll do the remix, the Miami remix. <laughs> Miami. Gosh, can you imagine the Miami remix of She Bags? It's just Pitbull and Ricky Martin. <laughs> Pitbull. What's he up to? Boy, are we off to a good start in <laughs> 2020. Matt, why are we talking about Guns N' Roses' appetite for destruction in the year 2020? That's really the gist of, of this podcast is to talk about those classic albums and why they hold up or some cases don't hold up. And so if you look at any top 50 album list of all time, you're going to see this album on there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just it's such a fun, incredible album to listen to. I probably haven't listened to this entire album in 20 years. Everything about it came back to me. The lyrics, mm-hmm. I remember them off the top of my head. The solos, I mean, every little nuance, every little bit to this album is, is still as, as fresh today as it was in 1987 to me. I was expecting it to be way more dated, and the guys in Guns N' Roses did not allow me to ask that question. Instead, they just punched me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so it's season two. As we promised, we're dropping this deuce. It's the year 2020. Before we do, we want to say thanks to everybody who's been with us on this journey so far through season one. It's been pretty remarkable, to be honest, the engagement and and the feedback we get on these. Our expectation was to do this more for fun and then, you know, maybe like the two of us and like wives and that'd be about it. But seeing how many people have enjoyed listening to these and have have engaged with us on social media and whatnot has been, been so much fun. So thank you. And what a fun way to end season one with Run the Jewels 3. I've had people who are really turned on to RTJ from that album. I mean, so, I'm, I would count myself in that, that camp Yeah, from that. We'll see if we can do the same thing with Guns N' Roses. Maybe there's somebody out here who hasn't heard of Guns N' Roses. Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. <laughs> a couple babies. <laughs> We're like free childcare. You know there are parents out there who just put this on. Their kids are mesmerized. Hey, Google, play 
that stupid podcast. <laughs> the best part is like now that I just said that, someone's yeah. gonna be playing that and then their Google's gonna pop up playing some playing podcast. this. Yeah, playing this. That's so meta. <laughs> <laughs> if you were just joining us on Finest Work Songs, one thing we like to do is begin with our memory of a band or an album. And so Matt, for you, what is your memory of Appetite for Destruction? Yeah, I remember being at Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, my family and our friends, good friends of ours, the Farrells, were with us for a weekend. My friend Chase Farrell, who would go on to be one of the singers in a couple of the bands I was in. Oh, yeah? yeah Are we talking technical difficulties? We're not. Are we talking... Uh, hold on, let me do this. Are we? Ta- <laughs> do you need a Venn diagram in this? I really do. Are we talking, what, a straight shooter? No, what is it? It's a <laughs> troubleshooter? Nope. All right, so it's not it's not the two bands we're aware of so far, <laughs> which is Troubleshooter. No, there's three bands. There's three. Yeah. Troubleshooter. Technical difficulties. Te- <laughs> technical <laughs> difficulties. I know the third one did not have. No, a, it was it was more. It was more. It was a little more artsy. That's your hint. Artsy. Like you're painting a still life. Still life. That's it. Oh, yeah. Still life. Was it still life? It was not still life either. So, wait, there's another band. Yeah, there's at least two more. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This year started off yeah, so exciting. All right, well, tell us about this band. The first time we were in a band together, he would go on to be the singer in our band, the Funkadelic Chipmunks. <laughs> did you play funk music? Well, we did, we did have one song called Something Funky, which was a little funky. <laughs> oh, my um, gosh. But that was our one foray into funk. But we, yeah. did, we, we, we also did not play Chipmunk songs. In case you oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, guessing that Something Funky was funky because one of you had gotten a wah-wah pedal for Christmas. <laughs> I believe that did factor into it. <laughs> That's why you're like, and, hey. and it was, And the, the bassist was kind of like slapping the bass a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what songs did y'all cover in, in the Funkadelic Chipmunks? We only did a couple shows, but we yeah. did a U2 medley of Sunday Bloody Sunday going into Pride in the Name of Love. Uh-huh. Then I think we did Fun and Games by the Connells. Yep. For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. Wow. Stairway to Heaven. And then we had a handful of originals too. So, yeah. Oh, man. It was a very engaged band. We would. This will give you a, a little bit of the, a snapshot of the time of, that we were in. We would stop and do pop culture references in the middle. Like at one point, we were playing a song and we kind of go off the rails and our frontman Chase would point to someone in the crowd again we only did like two shows he would point to someone in the crowd and say are those bugle boy jeans you're wearing <laughs> oh my gosh wow that was awesome you had an act we had we had a whole like we had a whole shtick bugle boy jeans yeah. i have not thought about yeah, those yeah. oh yeah since i was at that show and the guy pointed at me and said <laughs> are those yeah, bugle right. boy jeans called you out for not wearing them would you roll with these guys down the mule days Probably head that way some every now and then. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you're just jumping into this season, Matt grew up in a place called Dunn, North Carolina. In previous episodes, we have enjoyed his adventures growing up in oh, Dunn. Yes. One of my favorites being Benson Mule Days, which mm-hmm. why, don't you, why don't you catch everybody up on Benson Mule Days? I mean, it is what it sounds like. It's a mule-centered uh, <laughs> festival, a couple of days of shows of and parades and all things celebrating mules. Mules. Yeah, mules. <laughs> and not drug mules, mind you. I mean, like, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Then it's like the parade is just a bunch of cars going down slowly with like, 
people wrapped up in the backs and the trunks of their cars. Right, right. That's what it is. Just <laughs> also, if you want to make your plans for 2020, oh. it's the fourth Saturday weekend of September each year. Lest you think this is a small town thing, it draws 20 to 30,000 people every year. Yep. And who knows how many mules? No, I mean, <laughs> at least six. <laughs> So Chase is a couple years older than me, so he was always a little bit ahead of the game when it came to, to music. And so I remember we were watching TV one night, and everyone else had gone to bed. He got his Walkman you know, out at that time, the cassette Walkman, and he's like, you got to listen to this. Like, this is unbelievable. I remember putting on the headphones, and that first part of Welcome to the Jungle comes on, and it builds up, and that growl. And I remember taking the headphones off and with eyes wide and, and saying, this is so heavy. And here's the thing. Yeah. You had been listening to Metallica. A little bit, yeah. But yeah. Th- but there's something there about was something, Guns there was something so There was something so raw and yeah. edgy and dirty. Something about that that was unlike anything I'd heard before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was thinking about it too. Like two, two and a half years later, the sort of touchstone moment is, you know, the first time everybody heard Smells Like Teen Spirit and how it like changed yep. everything. Yep. I think Guns N' Roses was the same kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, looking back, they were kind of in that hair metal camp, but they were so different from everyone else, it seemed. And it was it mm-hmm. was such a different sound. I mean, just I've always distinctly remembered that moment of, of hearing that for the first time and thinking this is nothing I've ever heard before. Mm-hmm. What about you? What, what's your early memory of Guns N' Roses and or Appetite for Destruction? I didn't have it easy growing up. My parents were separated. I lived with my mom. And also in the picture was my grandfather, my mother's father, who was really controlling. He hated my father, never approved of them getting together. And he had a ton of money, so he felt like he could kind of do whatever he wanted. So he sent me away to military school and made sure that I knew every time that that my dad was a deadbeat. And so I grew up hating my father. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, she was suffering from heart disease, and so she had no other choice, but she actually reached out and sent my dad to come pick me up from military schools so that we could get there to see her after her surgery. My dad picks me up and my dad's a truck driver. And, uh, <laughs> and so he, uh, my dad picks me up in his truck and, uh, and we start heading off. And, and at first I hate, I hate my dad, but you know, there's nothing like a road trip in a 18 wheeler mm. to bring a father and son together because yeah. he's let me drive the truck. Wow. Yeah. That doesn't seem safe. No, but you know, it was exciting. Yeah. He's teaching me how to arm wrestle. And, uh, and also I almost got kidnapped and my dad like beat these guys almost to death. So just normal eighties kid yeah, sure, stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. just like everybody else. And so we were getting along great, but then we get to the hospital and my mom had died Oh man! and I blamed my dad. If we hadn't been gallivanting all over California, then maybe we would have gotten there to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And so I was mad and I, I left and went with my grandfather, just like any other loving father. He entered the world arm wrestling championship. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm at my grandfather's and I found all the letters that my dad had been sending over the years. So all these years, I'm thinking that my dad is a deadbeat father mm-hmm. just because he was never around. But then he, I found his letters and found that he'd been writing me. Sure. And so I realized that, no, he's a great dad. It I mean, sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter that he's left us. He's, he's writing. Mm-hmm. That's what counts. And so I made up my mind and I stole a truck from my grandfather. I couldn't drive yet, but I learned how to drive from yeah. my dad. And after driving a semi, driving a normal truck is just easy. <laughs> uh, I went to the airport. Mm-hmm. I bought a ticket. It's the 80s. No questions asked. Didn't need a 
ID or anything, no, just cash. No, that's right. Cash gets me on the plane. I flew to Las Vegas and, and made my way to the World Arm Wrestling Championship because also a kid in the 80s making his way around Las Vegas. Nothing. Everybody's so helpful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Las Vegas in the 80s was probably really like family friendly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And I made my way to my father who had fought his way up the ranks to make it to the finals. I expressed my support and love for him, and, and that's what he needed. Well, that and he would flip his baseball cap around backwards. Oh, yeah. When he did that, man. <clears throat> All bets were off. Why he didn't start that way, I don't know. <laughs> but there was something magical about you know flipping it to the back. Yeah. Obviously, if you're in the 80s at the World Arm Wrestling Championships, What's your walk-up song? They're like, Welcome to the Jungle. That's the other guy's walk-up song, but I mean it. <laughs> and so I heard Welcome to the Jungle, you know, for two days straight Man. and picked up the album afterwards. At first glance, that story sounds a little over the top. Um, <laughs> but I mean, when I hear you talk about the rocky relationship you had with your dad, I mean, it was pretty sly that he, you know, did that for you with the truck and all. And um, you were really wrestling with some some stuff there, but man. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> nice work over there. Oh, there yeah, he pulled it a lot together. <laughs> oh, oh my God. gosh. I can't believe they ever made a movie about arm wrestling. They couldn't make that movie now, but nah. in the 80s, we were there for it. I think they saw the success of Karate Kid, mm-hmm. and they combined that with Rocky. and mm-hmm. Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the formula. <laughs> maximum the, the Overdrive. winning formula. Yeah. And then... Uh, any which way but loose. Yep, with Clint Eastwood. And they're like, how about instead of an orangutan <laughs> next to him, it's his son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we can't have the son flipping off other drivers like an orangutan. Right. So let's jump in. This album begins with arguably the strongest, most iconic opening track of a debut album. Mm-hmm. feels edgy and raw and powerful you know, all this all this time later and and i feel like obviously in 1987 we didn't have the internet you couldn't just get on your phone and figure out how to you know become an actor or an actress or a mm-hmm. model or a musician and you either hopped on a bus and went to new york or you hopped on a bus and went to la and i feel like right. part of the you know maybe allure or appeal of this album was this insight into what it was like trying to make it in L.A. Was, was this the video where it's the girl getting off the bus? No, it's Axel getting off the bus. It's Axel getting off the bus. 
okay. he had long hair. Oh, okay, so, okay. And it was a straight long hair. It was a straight you know, long. It was different from how he looked when he's singing the video. And his hair's all sprayed in the video. It's like they were still had one foot in the glam in the rock thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because even on the, the in the liner notes, isn't there a, a band photo and they've still got kind of the big hair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's yeah, getting off the bus and you're in this intimidating you know, new place and it's uh law of the jungle kind of thing. Like you know, yeah. eat or be eaten. Which is not that different from their story, mm-hmm. you know, of Axel and Izzy basically making their way mm-hmm. in the world today. It takes sure. everything you got. That's right. Uh, <laughs> all of them kind of making their way into the city, into that scene and mm-hmm. trying to become successful. But it's interesting because they're telling their story in a way they're already now on the other side of it. They're the predator. Yeah. <laughs> inviting people into that world, which that's another reason that this song is so perfect for the album because they are, as we'll see throughout this album, presenting an angle of the scene in LA that we hadn't heard before. Yeah. We have heard of LA and Sunset Strip, but mostly it's just kind of like partying. Girls, girls, girls. Yeah. yeah. Which was that, even, that wasn't even out yet, was it? It probably was. Or, or was it? Let's look it up. I don't know. Was that a song? Which I just typed <laughs> girls, comma, girls, comma, girls into Google. I'm going to not hit return on that. Yeah, yeah. Because Google may not know I'm talking about Motley Crue. <laughs> okay, so Girls, Girls, Girls was the Motley Crue song that was released around the same time in 87. Okay. So that had not come out yet. They are showing a much darker side to L.A. and to the music scene. And this welcome to the jungles, almost like welcome to mm-hmm. this band. You know, this is the introduction that everybody has to Guns N' Roses. And it's like, welcome to this nightmare. Yeah, right. Welcome to a new era in music. Once Axel gets off the bus, they show him his character being strapped a la Clockwork Orange oh, yeah. to a chair with mm-hmm. all the screens in front of him. Mm-hmm. And the screens are just showing things like police, police <laughs> violence. And, and- yeah, and, and, you know, Guns N' Roses on stage. Mm-hmm. But when they show the band, these guys just look tougher mm-hmm. than any other bands out at, yeah. in the scene at the time. They look more believable. Well, and, and then the whole t- thing too at that time was all the, the hair bands mm-hmm. wanted to be seen. And then you've got this like lead guitarist and you can't see his face. Yeah. Who is that guy? What, what, I don't even know what he looks like. He's got the hair. He's got the hat. He's, got, he's always wearing glasses. Yep. And he's just a ridiculously phenomenal guitarist on top of all that yeah that's right and even izzy stradlin didn't necessarily look the part of like the 80s hair band no he looked so cool in fact in the video mm-hmm. for welcome to the jungle when axel gets off the bus the person playing the drug dealer that welcomes him is izzy oh really <laughs> yeah so they're like okay we need somebody who looks like really street worn yeah. and like really scary yep. to welcome this hayseed who's getting off this from bus. indiana yeah. yeah and they're like izzy you look hey, the part you, yeah, you can do it and they talk about the impact that guns and roses had they kind of were the death of the hair metal bands but that's the thing is like everybody talks about nirvana being the death knell of it but guns and roses was really the the first shot across the bow yeah if you will that's right so there were heavier bands out at the time but what we're talking about is something in rock yeah and they weren't just going out for heavy i mean even as this song starts they have these lovely background vocals Mm -hmm. you know that are singing along and there's elements in this song and in all their songs that are not just heavy metal like right here as it goes down into the bridge it takes quite a turn
I want to watch you bleed. And then all of a sudden, it's like this really pretty chorusy type guitar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they don't get a lot of credit for their songwriting, or even credit for like the song structures of being able to work in like a bridge like that. Yeah. And throughout this album, there there are songs like that. There, there's a fill or a part in there that's a bit of a twist from the rest of the song and it works incredibly well yeah it's very nuanced and there's a lot of beautiful parts that we'll highlight so this song is trying to paint this picture of this dystopian Mm -hmm. wasteland they don't do that only with the lyrics but they even through the bridge they start to figure out a way to sonically bring about this wasteland They had run away from home. They went to New York at first. And apparently there was a man who was experiencing homelessness. And this guy, trying to scare them, says, you know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby. You're going to (laughs) die. And so that had such an impact on Axel that he He worked it into into, Welcome to the Jungle. You know, that's amazing. I wonder if that guy got credit. He's the inspiration for that song. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting as I was listening over the weekend there's a couple parts. There's one in Welcome to the Jungle where there's a bit of a slide guitar mm-hmm. solo yeah, yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. They're very reminiscent to me of Bullet the Blue Sky. Both illustrating these very like dire, edgy, no hope environments just in different places i yeah. mean it's sirens it's it's aircraft it's yeah. it's bombs it's it's la it's el salvador yeah i mean yep. e- either way it works i never had noticed that until this weekend yeah like, hearing that similarity between the two man this song i feel like they could just walk off drop the mic go off stage and you'd be left floored mm-hmm. with the way that song ends the attitude the fierceness of the guitars and everything it's mm-hmm. so strong as an opening track but also just as a track it stands up mm-hmm. so they've now asked us to come into this wasteland mm-hmm. of la mm-hmm. and promise to to kill us if we do but let's <laughs> right. let's continue on you're gonna die i mean it's as simple as that yeah <laughs>
instead of side A and side B, they had side G and side R. And the Guns was the more violent songs on the G side. And the R was more, well, I won't say love songs, but... <laughs> yeah, relational. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So this is continuing that theme. They've got cars crashing. They're drinking and driving. They are starting fires. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's doing everything. It's just got this attitude to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about it where you feel like they could back it up. Kind of has one foot in the, the glam metal persona, if you will. Because, I mean, again, like a lot of the other bands at this time were probably like, hey, we're doing what we want. It's easy. It's so easy for us. Mm-hmm. But Guns N' Roses is still taking it to another level of edginess and, and violence and attitude of it's so easy when everyone's trying to please me because we're, we're still kicking everybody's butt. Too. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. just good that we look pretty and we've got leather pants right to come onto a scene that is known for bad boys Mm -hmm. and they make everybody else look foolish right they make bands like white snake and poison Mm -hmm. even motley Crue. Mm -hmm. motley Crue is kind of the closest that would come to them in terms Mm -hmm. of looking tough or being actually kind of fierce but Mm -hmm. you just get the feeling that guns and roses just doesn't care yeah if you're asking the question who would win in a fight poison or white snake or motley crew or dockin or something you know and then all of a sudden guns and roses comes onto the scene and we're not talking about a fight anymore they're pulling out knives and stabbing you (laughs) the rules have changed now and the look has changed with these guys yeah they just threw a molotov cocktail into your white stretched limousine with a hot tub in the bag yeah the next song we're going to take a look at is called Night Train. Don't be fooled. It's not a train that runs at night. There's that cowbell again. Big time. It's been in every song so yeah, far. Steven Adler loves a cowbell. He loves it. train refers to this cheap alcohol i'm on the night train ready to crash and burn they've ripped the brakes out (laughs) (laughs) right here it goes let's see what happens yeah let's take a moment to introduce this band we keep talking about how tough they are for some of these listeners maybe they're not sure who the band is and Mm so these bad boys on vocals we've got axel on lead guitar we've got Slash. slash and then on rhythm guitar and songwriting we've got Izzy. And then on bass, we've got this tough guy named Duff. And then on drums, we've got 
Steven. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is Steven is not even his real name. It's not? No. His real name is Michael Coletti. <laughs> <laughs> so his stage name that he changed it to is Steven Adler. Like, <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, the, the funny thing about that is like when you look at the songwriting credits, yeah. for, you know, you've got W. Axel Rose, Duff Rose McKagan, uh-huh. Izzy Stradlin. Yep. Which was that his real name? No. It was. Okay. None of these are their real oh, names. Oh, yeah. yeah. Steven Adler, which I now know is a stage name. Yep. And then Saul Hudson. Because he, he can't put Slash. If everyone else is putting their stage, stage name. names, why doesn't he put Slash? Maybe uh, he's like, I'm not messing around with the money. I want to make sure at the end of the day that it's really it's, clear. It's, the checks come yeah. to, to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take my driver's license and cash this. And I can't yeah. be. Oh, uh, please. Can you please put the hat and the glasses on <laughs> so we know it's you? Uh, can Mr. you pull Hudson? a guitar into this bank here? And I'm going to need to see you play note for note, appetite for destruction. Yes. And he flubs one note. Security. Security. Get him out of here. He's, he's not slash. Get out of here. It is funny that they chose names and he went with Steven, Steven Adler. Adler. Yeah. Which Adler kind of sounds like Rattler. Like, it might be like if Rattler. you're having to make connections, like the other guys weren't settling for that. Yeah. Well, it's Michael Coletti too. So it sounds like, you know, maybe he comes from like Italian, an Italian mafia yeah, background. Right. This is like the witness protection program. <laughs> We're going to put you in a hard rock band, but nobody's going to recognize you. It's going to be fine. Cause we're going to change your name to Steven. <laughs> man. See, they really, when they're talking about murdering, Michael Coletti knew. Oh man, poison. They're really getting on my nerves. I'm going to make Brett Michaels swim with the fishes. Yeah. Like, Whoa, Steven, <laughs> chill, man. <laughs> Obviously, no one expected the level of success that this album would reach. Uh, You can't predict that sort of thing. And I think part of that comes not only from the hits like Welcome to the Jungle and, as we'll hear, Paradise City and Sweet Child of Mine, but the album tracks are equally strong. And this next one's Mr. Brownstone. Is this this the hand jive from Greece? I believe it is. <laughs> I just like to imagine Livy Newton John and John Travolta dancing to this. And here we go, everybody kicks in. <laughs> you doing a good hand job oh, over there. <laughs> I get up around seven, get out of bed around nine. And I don't worry about nothing, no, because worms are waste of life. There's that cowbell. He loves that cowbell almost as much as he loves introducing people to his little friends. (laughs) He loves that cowbell as much as he loves taking the cannoli, (laughs) but leaving the gun. (laughs) There's been a lot of talk that Mr. Brownstone's referencing drugs. Uh I have a theory, actually, as I've been thinking about this. What's that? There was a guy in the 80s who lived in a brownstone who, in hindsight, was doing some pretty bad things. I think that song's about Bill Cosby. (laughs) 
That's right. The Cosby's, I, they lived in the brownstone. I mean, they, I think they didn't call it Dr. Brownstone because they didn't want to be too obvious. Give it, it was, away. It was Dr. Huxtable. Guns N' Roses, they were, they were trying to hint to the world what was going on. Yeah. And, and, he, and he always danced at the beginning of the show. Yeah. They've been dancing with Mr. Brownstone. <gasps> That's right. Oh, my gosh. So Izzy was basically supplying Bill Cosby with all the drugs. Gosh, we should have listened. Axel. We're sorry. We're going to turn this into one of those like serial type podcasts where we get to the bottom <laughs> of, of crimes. I guarantee that Michael Coletti's at the bottom of a lot of them. <laughs> This is the only song on the album with synthesizer, yeah. uh, so no cowbell. Right. They do have synthesizer, as well as they hired a gym coach to come in and, and do this. Leaning on pop band with a chorus like that—that that is so melodic. This yeah. is a lighthearted summer song. Yep, and and it again shows, speaks to their ability as, as songwriters to craft just a long, complex, multi-part melodic song structure that ranges from you know the sort of gritty, heavy mm-hmm. rock stuff to you know, pretty melodies. I, I think you know the, the Wikipedia page talks about how part of the song is Midwest, mm-hmm. you know, Indiana pureness and then the other part is the jungle and grittiness and la and new york yeah but it works there's those two very different things together although when i hear paradise city i don't think of indiana (laughs) 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 i don't know where paradise city would be done cincinnati benson mule days yeah probably yeah Yeah. i like the idea of them playing this as the mules come out at benson mule days (laughs) (laughs) where the mules are pretty. (laughs) 
And apparently this was a guitar exercise that Slash made up to warm up. To warm up his fingers. And Axel was like, hey man, play that again. (laughs) It started creating a song over it. Wow. So Slash has never been a huge fan of this song. written by axel he was inspired by leonard skinner to have you know what he said was that heartfelt feeling in a song so something a little bit more love songy and ballady Mm -hmm. but also was written about his girlfriend at the time aaron everly whose father is don everly of the everly brothers dream How L.A. is that? (laughs) Super L.A. (laughs) Yeah. Also, if you're the guy who wrote Dream, you're thinking, things were so wholesome once. Can we go back? Do you think Axel tried to talk music with Don and vocals? That would be something. Hey, Don, you want to have a (laughs) sing-off? I'll call up Izzy. You call up that brother of yours. (laughs) That would have been great if they had done a collaboration. Can you imagine them redoing Dream? Don and his son-in-law. Dream and dream. I them doing like dream, and Axel's like doing the dance. Yeah, here comes the cowbell. I want to hear Guns N' Roses do dream. No, I don't. Don't ruin that song. No one wants that. No one wants that. I feel like this was the song that introduced me, and I'm sure a million other people, to Guns N' Roses. Yeah, it was. It was the breakout hit. I mean, every community center dance this was playing, and and as as a young like guitarist, yeah, I mean, Slash was just doing that as an exercise. But the thing was that this intro, that riff, was so incredibly complicated. Right, like no one could play it, (laughs) and so here he is. He's just like messing around. No one else could do that exercise. Right. I mean, it was impossible to play. Yeah, it's seen as a a major riff, and he's like, no, this is the mindless thing I do to warm up my fingers. Right. Yeah. Maybe he was mad because on the side, he was working on a video tutorial of guitar exercises, (laughs) and and this ate into those profits. It probably did. (laughs) He was going to be wildly successful as a guitar teacher. (laughs) On VHS tapes. (laughs) (laughs) Learning to play with Saul Hudson. (laughs) Hey, kids. <laughs> He's got an alter ego. This is your old ego. friend, Saul. Yeah. One thing we do each 
Epipod, when we review an album, we consider, if you had to, which track would you lose on this album? And so, mm-hmm. Matt, Axl Rose, he's... <laughs> gosh, there's so many there's things so to choose from. He's got a bus ticket for you, Ooh. and it's headed straight to L.A., and you know all that awaits you mm. if you don't remove a track from Appetite for Destruction. So which which track would you remove from this album if you um, had to? For me, it would probably be Think About You. That's the one song on here that I feel like you could remove and the album still is a complete album. I don't see how you can remove Welcome to the Jungle, It's So Easy, Night Train. I mean, Out to Get Me and Mr. Brown's song, Paradise City, My Michelle. You're listing all the tracks. I am listing all the tracks. <laughs> I literally am. Sweet Child of Mine, You're Crazy. I mean, it's such a, a incredibly deep album. Yeah, Think About You would be the one I would remove. Okay. What about you? For me, it would be You're Crazy. You are crazy to remove that. <laughs> I was going back to seventh grade, Matt, and mm-hmm. trying to think about, you know, listening to this album. And, you know, one of the options for me was I Think About You, but I just remember loving that song at that age. Mm-hmm. So had a little bit of nostalgia for me. At the end of the day, I think Your Crazy was kind of the weakest. I could see that. Okay. We have an album that initially was not promoted well or accepted. Mm-hmm. MTV fought to keep the video off. Record labels weren't sure if they wanted to take on this band, no one saw what was coming. It ended up being the most successful debut album, even to this day. It changed the game in terms of hard rock. Went on to sell 30 million copies worldwide. It's the 11th best-selling album in the U.S. It brought Guns N' Roses to the forefront and established, like you said, a lot of things like Axl Rose and his dance and Mm -hmm. Slash and the look. Mm -hmm. The impact, we could go on and on and on about the impact that this album had. Does it hold up? It more than holds up. It's amazing how strong this album still is. Yeah. It far exceeded my expectations of of wondering whether it holds up. Yeah, for me as well. It was a lot stronger and it had a lot more diverse sound Mm -hmm. than I remembered. It still has some subject matter that I maybe wouldn't always choose to engage with, but (laughs) it's a great album. You know, let us know your thoughts on Appetite for Destruction. Do you think it holds up? What are your memories from that, that album? Check us out and engage with us on social media at, at Twitter and Instagram at Finest Work Songs. And you can also find us on uh, Facebook as well. All right. Thanks for listening to season two of Finest Work Songs. And we'll see you next time when we drop, drop the deuce. <laughs>Our theme song is the song Radio by the band Medium Heat. You can find their music at mediumheat.bandcamp.com and check them out on Facebook at Medium Heat Music. Look for their upcoming shows here in the Raleigh area. They're a great band and we love them. <laughs>